and good day to students and teachers of the Word of God. We are studying lessons on the theological seminar of the air which are preeminently practical, and therefore come under the heading of practical theology. As we've said many times before in these broadcasts, the main purpose of the writing of the Scripture was for doctrinal matters, and it is true that although many of those who make their living off using the King James Bible because they prefer it are always overemphasized in the practical matters, the sad fact remains and the tragic fact for this age that the Scriptures were given the inspiration of God primarily for doctrine, then for correction, instruction, righteousness. The reversal of this order to mean that the Scriptures were first given for uh, practical work in life, for correction, instruction, righteousness, is the work of the modern Laodicean humanist that puts the second commandment ahead of the first commandment. One must never forget that living in the age of rebellion preceding the coming of the Antichrist to take over the uh, pagan Roman system and the apostate council of churches on the United Nations, that the outstanding characteristic of this generation is open rebellion against the Word of God. The attack is on authority. So when we have an authorized version, we have continual attacks made against that version. And this has led to the, the leading religious lights of our <clears throat> day and time to take the emphasis off Bible doctrine, which is the truth, and place it on the human relation to the human. Uh, this uh, Laodicean humanism is the forerunner of socialism, which is the forerunner of communism, and it infests the fundamentalist camps exactly like it infests the United Nations or the Congress, the House of Representatives. The bloated up, puffed egotists of our day, many of whom parade as Christian celebrities, have put the emphasis on the second commandment, soul winning, instead of the first, and put the emphasis on the practical Christian life instead of the doctrine, so they can get away with violating the truth of God in order to accomplish their work. Anything ahead of God is an idol. You're told to beware of covetousness in the New Testament, which is idolatry, according to Colossians 3. So for this reason, we have saved our lessons on the practical aspects of Christianity to the end of the series of broadcasts. The series of broadcasts, which runs 104 broadcasts, is now broadcast number 95, and 95 for the last uh, 10 lessons, since about uh, lesson 85. We've been dealing with uh, matters of practical Christianity, which of course are always secondary to the absolute infallible truth of God, which was given to teach doctrine. Now, our subject matter today is worship. Worship is different from prayer and praise. For example, Lord, save my soul, or Lord, give me this, or Lord, give me that, can be a prayer. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul is praise, or thank you, Lord, for whatever the Lord has given you. Uh, that is uh, praise. But thanking God for what he is is worship. That is, worshiping is adoring God as a living person, a living being, an almighty creator who is God of gods, King of kings, Lord of lords, the Almighty, the everlasting, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. The first mention of the word worship in the Bible occurs in Genesis 22.5, which tells us plainly that true worship is always connected with a blood sacrifice. In Genesis 22.5, Abraham says to his men, I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. The fact that he believes that he and the boy are both coming back shows that Abraham believes in a resurrection. So the first time the term worship occurs anywhere in the Bible, it is connected with Isaac, a type of Christ, a blood atonement, type of a lamb, and the resurrection 
of a dead son. Genesis 22.5. When Christ says, they that worship God must worship in the spirit and truth, he's plainly telling us that any worship of God that is not connected with the bloody sacrifice of a son who died and rose again is pagan hallucination and religious claptrap. We didn't say heresy, lest some of you narrow-minded reactionary bigots think we're out to kill somebody or shut up everybody that doesn't agree with us. The narrow-minded reactionary dark-age bigot of America is usually college-educated and usually was raised in a church. And these educated fools think that every time you lay down the line hard and straight on the truth, that you're condemning everybody to hell that doesn't believe it, and you're also saying that you'll attack and shut up and oppose anybody who doesn't believe it. And, of course, this is nonsense. The people who kill missionaries in Africa are not Bible-believing people. You understand that, don't you? The people who kill Christians in Russia are not Bible-believing people. You understand that, don't you? The people that murdered four million people in China were not Bible-believing people. You understand that, don't you? And the commandant of Buchenwald, Herr Koch, was not a Bible-believing Protestant. Neither was the commandant of Treblinka concentration camp, Kurt Franz. Neither was the commandant of Auschwitz concentration camp, Rudolf Hess. There wasn't one Bible-believing Protestant in the entire bunch. Now, we talk about we Bible-believers. We're certainly not setting ourselves up as inquisitors and persecutors of those who disagree with us. We believe you have a perfect right to be a fool if you want to be, and if you want to make an ass out of yourself, that's your business and nobody else's. However, we're not going to compromise the truth to please your hallucination or match your fancy. The truth of the matter is, the first time the word worship occurs in the Bible is connected with the son who dies and rises from the dead. In Matthew 2, verse 2, the wise men came to worship the newborn king, Jesus Christ. So the first time the term worship occurs in the New Testament, it is connected with the birth of Jesus Christ. Therefore, the Bible defines its own term, sets its own standard, puts its own computerized format, and the bracket into which you are to think. And if you don't want to think that way, then help yourself. It's your funeral, not mine. The fact remains is the first mention of the Old Testament is connection with Isaac, a type of Christ, dying and coming up from the dead. And the first mention of the New Testament is with the birth of a Jewish king. Matthew 4.10, Jesus says, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God. In John 4.24, God is a spirit, may the worship him must worship him in the spirit and in truth. The substitution then of the second commandment for the first commandment is the beginning of communism. Karl Marx used Acts chapter 4 for his Bible verse, as all heretics have to have some authority for what they say. And Karl Marx's idea was simple. Instead of worshiping God, you worship man. Instead of trying to get unsaved men fit for heaven, you try to get the earth fit for communists to run. Or to put it the way Carl would put it, quote, to make the earth a better place to live on and end man's inhumanity to man by following the will of the people. <laughs> Did you ever hear that jazz mass before? That's the old buffer. That's the old gaff act that every politician has been putting on since Cain knocked Abel's brains out. What it amounts to is forget the first commandment and concentrate on the second one. That'll be enough to send you to hell. All you have to do is major in the minors and minor in the majors, and you're over the cliff. Now, what is the meaning of worship? The word worship, like grace and love, is not exactly uh, easy to locate. The word grace in the Bible sometimes referred to a present condition, Sometimes a past opportunity, 
Sometimes the word grace refers to a present appropriation for a present necessity. Sometimes the word grace refers to the ability to give. Worship means to do reverence or homage to a superior being. Men ought to worship God because he's God. David said in Psalm 23, verse 5, that uh, the Lord is his shepherd and he isn't going to want, and that God does this for him and God does that for him and God does this for him and God does that for him. Worship is the upspring of a heart that has known the Father as a giver, the Son as a Savior, and the Holy Spirit as the indwelling Spirit. Worship is the occupation of the heart, not with its needs or even with its blessings. Worship is the occupation of the heart with God himself. And, of course, this is the difference between the modern uh, demoniac charismatic and the Bible believer. The modern demoniac charismatic is mostly concerned with God giving him what he needs, healing or money, and prospering his ministry so he can share it with others. And, of course, this is not worship. Worship is the occupation of the heart not with its needs or the needs of others or even with its blessings. Worship is the occupation of the heart with God himself. Now, the importance of worship cannot be underestimated or overstated. It is the first commandment of the law. The Lord said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Jesus Christ himself said the first and great commandment is the Lord thy God is one God, and thou shalt worship the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind. This is the first, not the second, and the great, not the next, the great commandment. So if you're a communist, you'll take the second one. Since communists are unsaved people in the flesh, they will naturally take the fleshy commandment that deals with the fleshy bodies of the fleshy men they can see in the flesh, because to them the flesh is the beginning and the flesh is the end. They're nature worshipers. They worship Darwin's theory of evolution. There is no communist in Russia or China who is not an evolutionist. The fruit of such a belief is murder. And if you don't believe that, go to Africa. Russia between 1920 and 1940, China between 1940 and 1970, Africa between 1970 and 1980. Bloody, killing, murder. You said, what grounds? Any you want to make up. All communists are evolutionists. All evolutionists believe in an animal culture, antigen, an animal civilization, and a jungle of animals, by animals, for animals, called, quote, the people. That's the motto of the French Revolution and Mao Tung and Castro, of the people, by the people, for the people. Or the King James Bible says, Laodicea, the rights of the people. God has no rights. Now, God called the erection of the tabernacle and temple for the purpose of worship. Most of the instructions in Leviticus are regarding the worship of the true God. God taught men like Abraham, Moses, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Isaiah and David and others, the art of worship. And since worship will be your occupation for eternity, you certainly should know something about it. In Revelation 4 and 5, the inhabitants of heaven are worshiping God. 
The elders about the throne cast their crown before his feet day and night, and the four beasts say, Glory, honor, wisdom, and power, blessing, and strength be to the Lamb, and glory, praise, and honor, and power be to him that liveth forever and ever. That's worship. That's something the unsaved man cannot understand, because being born of the flesh, he's fleshy, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit, and they that are in the flesh cannot understand the thing of the spirit, because the natural man receiveth not the thing of the spirit, for they are foolish unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Therefore, no unsaved man listening to my voice can understand the first principle in worship. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit. And you're not in the spirit if you've never been born again. You're not in the flesh but in the spirit, if so be the spirit of Christ dwelling you. Now again, a demon-possessed charismatic will say, well, in the spirit means going to some ecstasy. Well, that might be an Old Testament sense or a sense of tribulation passage of John of the third heaven in the book of Revelation. But let me tell you something, boys and girls, from our study of pneumatology, there's no saved person listening to my voice that isn't in the spirit, and if you're not in the spirit, you're not even saved. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit, and they of the flesh cannot please God, and you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be the spirit of Christ dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he's none of his. I'm quoting Romans chapter 8. I'm quoting 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, I'm about to kid you that in the Spirit means an ecstatic utterance of an Old Testament prophet or the transportation of John to heaven for the revelation of one book in your Bible. You better get your Bible straight. If a man is not born of the Spirit, he's not in the Spirit, and he can't worship God in the Spirit and truth, for God is a Spirit. The Scripture is very clear. Luke 4, 8 says, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God. Psalm 45, 11 says, He is thy Lord, and worship thou him, not your brains, not your education, not the school you went to, not Christian scholarship, not higher education. You are not to worship idols. God said in Exodus 20, verse 3, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. The surest proof that the occupants of UFOs are not the Lord and God spoken of in the Old Testament is their language doesn't match. There hasn't been a UFO occupant seen or spotted by anybody or an entry into a capsule or UFO report of anybody where any occupant dared say what God said when he came down on Sinai and spoke to the children of Israel. The teaching, therefore, that <clears throat> God is an applying saucer and all that nonsense is a rabid nonsense put out by a bunch of demented people who can't read. Who ever heard of a UFO occupant talking about the restoration of Israel with King David on the throne? Hmm? That's what the so-called UFO occupant of Ezekiel 1 talked about to Ezekiel. Who ever heard of a UFO occupant coming down and saying, Thou shalt not commit adultery? Those things that ride in them UFOs don't have any moral standards. Don't you know that? You can't find one reported case of any UFO occupant in fact or fiction that ever told anybody, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, all thy strength, and all thy mind. Well, that wasn't any UFO that came down on Sinai, unless you're about half crazy. 
If you can read, you know perfectly well it wasn't a UFO occupant. UFO occupants don't talk like Jehovah God talks. Many of the people worship dead idols of wood and stone. Many others worship self, money, business, pleasure. In America, there are three false gods. First of all, Americans worship money. Secondly, they worship sex. And thirdly, they worship education. These are the three false gods of America. Money, sex, and education. Of course, all three of them are tied up with the love of money. And that is why the Bible says the love of money <coughs> is the root of all evil. We're not to worship angels. Revelation 19.10. We're not to worship nature. Job 31. We're not to worship men. Acts 10.25.26. You have no business at all falling down and bowing down and kissing the feet of any man on the face of this earth. Acts 10, 25, and 26. You're not to worship nature. We are to worship God the Father, John 4, 23. Jesus said, The Father seeketh such to worship him. We are to worship him because of what he has done, loving us and giving his son for us. We are to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, John 9, 38. We're to worship him because of what he has done, his incarnation, his life, and a sacrificial death. We are to worship him because of his present work as an intercessor and high priest. We are not instructed to worship the Holy Spirit, though it may not be wrong, but the Holy Spirit's job on this earth <coughs> was to magnify Jesus Christ and glorify him, and that is why nobody in the New Testament ever worships the Holy Spirit. And that is why the people who talk the most about the Holy Spirit know the least about him. Now the basis for worship. The only basis is by the blood of Jesus Christ, a sacrifice, mentioned in Genesis 22 and Hebrews 10:19. The Holy Spirit leads a believer into a life of worship of not him or mention of him, but a worship of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit teaches one to worship, appreciate, and apprehend God in the Bible through studying the Bible and reading the Bible. Worship is not primarily something that is to be stored up and released out of meeting Sunday morning. It is something which should arise continually from the believer's soul seven days a week. For a full worship of God, we must not possess a grieved Holy Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit to teach and guide us through the Bible, and never throw away your Bible for a reliable translation and get misled. Our worship must be spiritual, John 4:24. Worship must be sincere, that is, in the truth. God looks at the heart to see whether or not the words of our lips are true, sincere and genuine expressions of what comes from the heart. Worship must be intelligent. God does not put a premium on ignorance. He desires we have a knowledge of what the Bible teaches because God wrote the Bible and gave it to us as a revelation of himself. Many modern people attempt to worship God by bowing in church and reciting prayers. They don't understand, and they're not praying anyway. There's many a priest that's conducted, that conducted a mass while trying to figure up his score in the golf course last week. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, we read in our Bibles. Following through a church service is not necessarily worshiping God. Like we said, some minds are miles away preparing meals, catching fish, making money, or God knows what. Each child of God is duty-bound to see to it that the worship he presents to God through Jesus Christ is spiritual, sincere, and intelligent. That is according to what God said the way God said it. We may worship in each part of the service, singing, praying, preaching, offering, so forth and so on, but worship in church or in private has to be a heart exercise. It delights the heart of the Father to find true worshipers of himself. The Lord greatly longs for the worship of our hearts, 
but he is very often disappointed. Now, there are many hindrances to worship. Worship is the Christian's highest occupation, is therefore contested by Satan. Satan will do everything he can to keep you talking about the Holy Ghost and the gifts of the Holy Ghost instead of worshiping God. Satan will do everything he can to make you think that Sunday morning worship service is the time to worship God, and the rest of the time is the time to enjoy yourself. First of all, self-will. You read about God killing a man in the Old Testament for wanting to serve God. You say, who was that? Uzzah, who put forth his hand to steady the ark with a good motive, but not according to knowledge, not according to intelligence, and not according to the revealed will of God. That is, this zealous man who wanted to help God out by shedding his experience and being a blessed to others was not dead in the road because he did what he did because he wanted to do it. It was against what God said. The Philistine expedient of hauling the Ark of the Covenant around Oxcartanic, God had already commanded them that Ark was to be carried by uh, poles through the rings on the Ark by the shoulders of the priests. The same thing happened to Nadab and Abihu, Leviticus 10, that offered a strange fire. They simply figured they'd serve God in their own way without regard to what God said. They were both dropped dead. The believer in worship proposes and seconds the motion of non-confidence in himself. People say, go to the church of your choice. You don't have any choice, son. The choice is God's. People say, I use the King James Bible because I prefer it. Then you better get rid of it. Your preference doesn't matter. The Christian is not his own. He's bought with a price. I hear people say, well, I may decide to come to church next Sunday and may decide not to. It isn't your decision to make. Now, that's what the modern Christian hates about the authority of the authorized version. The authorized version says, you're not your own. You're bought with a price. You Christian people, now you listen to me. I'm talking to you. You born-again saved people in the Bible are bond slaves knocked down on a block and bought. And the price of your redemption is blood. And you are not your own. You are bought. B-O-U-G-H-T. Therefore, every time you decide to make the decision, instead of letting God do it according to His Word... You are rebelling against your master. Is that clear? I don't expect you unsaved people to understand one word I just said. You have no master. You are your own God. And the highest authority in your life is your own brain. And the worms will get that God before very long. Now, worldliness can hinder worship. The believer in the world is in the world, but definitely not of the world, according to John 17, 11. Jesus Christ must become the center and circumference of your Christian life. Worship is the person, mind, and body concentrating on the Lord Jesus Christ himself. A critical spirit can hinder true worship. Those who go to church and then have to have roast preacher for dinner have not worshipped God. True worship goes beyond the preacher, beyond the church, beyond the choir, and worships God himself. Nothing in the world will kill the spirit of true worship like a critical spirit, like saying the verse should have been this, the translation should have been this, a better rendering is this, it's an unfortunate say of this, these people worship their education. 
Don't look for something to criticize. Look rather for something to commend. Some people are just too lazy to exert the energy needed to worship God. Many in attempting to worship God fall asleep mentally, if not physically, and fail in their basic desire to meet the Lord and praise Him. Spiritual laziness must be viewed as a thief, and spiritual lethargy must therefore give place to spiritual alertness. You're going to have to wake up, or as Paul says in Ephesians 4 to the Christians, not to the unsaved, awake thou that sleepest, and rise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Impatience can hinder worship. The Lord said, wait, in Isaiah 40, verse 31. Our speeded-up generation has failed to learn to sit quiet in his presence and meditation of his goodness and works. Our speeded-up generation has learned how to quit uh, sitting and waiting on God, and they cannot obey Samuel's admonition to Saul, Stand thee still a while, but I may show thee the word of the Lord. Some of you people I'm talking to have never heard one 30-minute broadcast clear through from beginning to end yet. Have you? Some of you people studying new lessons have never cleared the decks at home and sat down with paper and pencil for 30 minutes to even check whether I'm telling you the truth or not. Formalism is a terrible hindrance to true worship. Substituting a ritual or a set of sacraments for a free heart worship of God is satanic and blasphemous and demoniac. Nothing in the world can kill the spirit of true worship like a standard form of service, a standard way of speaking, a standard way of folding the hands, a standard way of singing, and a standard, cultured, educated format that is followed to the letter. Nothing under God's heaven can kill worship any quicker than that. Dead orthodoxy is the deadest dead thing there is. Dead orthodoxy is deader than, her than uh, heretical teaching. There is nothing deader than a born-again, say, bunch of people who profess to be the fundamentals, gathering in their best clothes on Sunday morning and following a format that is designed to increase the attendance and offering. Nothing any deader than that. Worship doesn't even enter as a factor in such a service. Pride of person, pride of race, pride of face, pride of place, pride of grace will deter from true worship. Wherever a bunch of Christians get so proud they think they're able to correct the authorized version, the Holy Spirit ceases to bless them, and they continue in the form and have what the Bible calls a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. There is no way any genuine worship goes on in America where educated sinners have gotten together to make an idol out of their ministry or a god out of their work at the expense of what God said. We're to worship God not in just a place, but in spirit and truth. We worship God when we enter into his presence and engage in worship, the highest occupation. And when we do, God will be glorified, for then he receives the praise, honor, and glory due him, and it is certainly due to him. You will be blessed if you do it. God will fill your heart with joy and peace. And so our prayer is that there may be constantly arising from your heart and every Christian's heart a constant flow of adoring worship which will delight the heart of God and bring glory to his holy name, for he alone is worthy to be praised. A great King of kings, a God of gods, a Lord of lords, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and ending, the Lord Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, the life, the door, the bread of life, the water of life, the Alpha and Omega, the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley, the altogether lovely one, the King of Israel, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed of God, my Savior, my God, my beloved, and my friend. May his name be praised forever and ever. Amen and amen.